It's the Shooting the Sheet podcast. Who are we and what are we up to? We're, uh, we're three mumbly nerds that talk about, like, TTRPGs, almost at video games. Um, featuring Jay. Jay, he, him, Jay, she, they, and Miles, he, him. Uh, and yeah, we talk about TTRPGs, D&D, WBS, and also we have topics that we never announce until later, but I remembered that we have a topic. So, Miles, why don't you tell us what that is? Yeah, uh, so our topic uh, is the weird transition of moving from being a DM to a player. Because, I mean, consistently, there, there's a lot of people out there, myself included, who kind of get thrown into uh, the forever DM spot. And then, you know, occasionally we get the opportunity to be players instead. And there are some pitfalls with that, uh, both from both from the standpoint of, you know, one of the players in the group taking over in the DM's chair there, uh, and from being a DM now relegated to a player role. And there's, like, a change of power dynamics there, and it's... It can be treacherous. There's a lot of people who don't handle it well, and the goal is, after this episode, you will have some tools to help you handle it better. But spoiler alert, I handled it uh, like well. most cases on this show, a lot of it's going to boil down to communicating with other people in an honest way. Yeah. Yep, that's yep. what it's all about, is just talk to people like you're a normal person and you're... Oh wait, I'm sorry, we're talking about um, people that are listening to a podcast about tabletop games. They don't know how to talk to other people and be normal. Just like us. Hey, um... Before we get started today, thank you so much to the guys, the titular guys, at the Guys Were Screwed podcast. Uh, it is a podcast about uh, apocalyptic scenarios and sort of the things that are going on in our world today. Um, I shot them an email with some fun uh, topics for them to discuss, and they have great, gracefully shouted us out. So thank you so much for the podcast, Guys Were Screwed. Anyone listening to us, go uh, look into them, look into their Patreon. They got great content and uh, appreciate their... Uh, co-support. I've been doing some networking to uh, build a brand. You know how it is. Did you become James Stephanie Starling for a second there? Yeah. When you go triple I. Um, yes. So thank you so much, graciously, for the bigger fish in the podcasting pond to, uh, you know, grant us some eyeballs. Earballs. Anyway. Yeah. And if you came here from that podcast, thank you. Thanks for checking us Thank out. You. you know what? And, and you know what they said, too? They were saying, like, oh, uh, go give this podcast money. They said, go give my wife money. And I was just like, oh, we don't have a Patreon set up right now. But, uh, hey, leave us a review on iTunes. That's what other podcasts say to do. And I think that's good for a podcast. I can set up a donation thing. But also, you know, I will give them a further shout out. I've never listened to them before. And Jay told me to listen to them. Um, and I listened from, like, the point where... It was revealed, like, where it was a surprise that, you know, they were doing an ad read for us or whatever. And I listened to them for, like, a good other 20 minutes after that before I turned my phone off to do other stuff. And that sounds, like, mean, but no, that's actually a glowing indictment from me and my ADHD. Very funny people there. And you know what? These guys, they're really great. They're really funny. And they've got that podcaster energy where, like, they want to, like, shout and get excited and stuff. And they are all in their own houses where they're trying not to wake up their wife. Hmm. They are always sounded like they're, like, 
doing that that quiet yell like yeah oh. lucky for you your wife is on half your podcasts yeah i'm so fortunate for that but hey do we want to play some mind games or did we want to do news first i'll let miles choose um, you know, let's let's do some news because the mind games thing is a new segment. Uh, so yeah. let's do some news first. Let's start with the old. Yeah, Miles, what's the piece of news you found? Okay. Uh, so the thing that I was seeing people talking about very very recently uh, is that D and D Beyond has announced that they're going to stop selling uh, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes and Volo's Guide to Monsters on their uh, on their marketplace. They're going to delist it when Monsters of the Multiverse comes out at the end of the month. And people are freaking out, they're getting real uppity, and getting, like, genuinely angry. Uh, mostly, generally, because they have not checked out that they're not revoking your license to those materials, which is a, a genuine concern. Like, if they hadn't clarified yeah. that they weren't revoking the license to it, that's a thing worth getting pissed off about. Uh, because they'd be essentially saying, hey, that thing you bought, you don't have it anymore. Uh, which, I mean, in the age of digital content is something that most companies reserve the right to all the time anyway. But it's a shit move, and they shouldn't have the ability to do that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they're not going to revoke access to those materials for people who already have them. They are just not going to be putting it on their marketplace anymore. So new people wouldn't be able to buy it. They'd just buy monsters of the multiverse which is going to have all of the content from there minus the lore chapters which is something worth noting uh like yeah there's some cool lore within those bits but also nine times out of ten you're not buying those books for the lore i i know there's going to be people who disagree with me on that but realistically you're not going to be buying those books for the lore and if you are a person who is like, oh no, I'm going to miss out on the lore from those books, Google is free. Like, I know it sounds shitty to say it, but like, there's definitely huge databases with that lore already in it. If you're going to buy a D&D I... source book exclusively for the lore, yeah, you're wasting your money. I, uh, I hate to ask, um, especially because it's not out yet, so you wouldn't necessarily know. But aside from the lore bits, will this actually be a better, like, will this be a better value for people just to run their games with more content in D&D Beyond when it actually happens? Like, getting this one book will have more in it than, um, like, Mordenkaidens and stuff? Yes, it will. Uh, Monsters of the Multiverse, realistically, is going to become one of the new key books to buy if you are starting out. Like, it's going to be Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, Dungeon Master's Guide, and then Monsters of the Multiverse and Tasha's Cauldron of uh, Everything tied for that next spot of uh, of fourth and fifth book you should absolutely buy. Oh, poor, um, I already forgot the name of it, the book that came out last year or the year before it. Um, that other of everything book. Uh... Yeah, I mean, there was, there was Mordenkainen's, uh, I believe a lot of the stuff that's in Xanathar's is also going to be in Monsters of the Multiverse, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I know Monsters of the Multiverse is going to have every single additional race, mm -hmm. I believe, every single additional officially published race that isn't in the player's handbook. So, like, yeah. that's a lot of shit. 
It's gonna like, be a beefy book. As someone who doesn't have... Yeah, as someone who has nothing on D&D Beyond, if I was ever to do anything with D&D Beyond, that's definitely a, a lot more of, you know, uh, a motivation for me just because, oh, this is actually a lot cheaper. Yeah, I'm still never doing it because no matter how useful D&D Beyond is for 5e, I just don't specifically play enough of 5e to really, you know. Yeah. My... My but. two hopes, actually, I mean, I guess really my biggest hope for D&D Beyond is that now that it is officially a, a, a product owned by Wizards of the Coast, uh, because they bought it, and a lot of people were upset about that, but like, eh, now that it is officially owned and operated by Wizards of the Coast, maybe we'll finally get the thing that I've been asking for from the very beginning, which is when you buy a physical copy of a book, you get a voucher inside for unlocking that content for free in D&D Beyond. See, this is why I love Miles. He's an optimist. He's a little bit, like, you know, maybe a little naive, but what an optimist. I wish that too so much, oh my god, but it's never happening. I, just, I mean, I yeah, I know, it, I know it's probably not going to happen, but it should. It's dumb that it hasn't, because... It, it really fucking should. Like, if they <sighs> want to, if they want to make D&D Beyond a bigger market share of the VTT space, they need to give you something. And if you have the ability to get all of the content from your physical materials digitally, that you're going to do that. That's going to be a huge draw. I'm I'm not going to lie. If, if I had had the ability to do that and I was running Rime of the Frost Maiden for you all, I, I would have done that on D&D Beyond if I could have had access to all of that material through that system without having oh, to buy it sure. again. In part because like, I I would have wanted to spend more time messing with D&D Beyond. I haven't messed with it in a while because I didn't like its UI and I didn't like that I had to pay for everything. I would love to love D&D Beyond, but honestly, the only thing that happened when D&D Beyond really was starting to be pushed was so much of the free information out there became harder to find because wizards became, well, a bit, even before they owned it, they were becoming a lot more restrictive about what you could find for free online. Oh, I know yeah. a lot of the places I used to go, um, like four or five years ago, got taken down. I think a lot of them came back up, but there was like a weird dry period where I could not find like half of the stuff I used to use for D&D. I sounded like I had more uh, to that sentence, but that was actually just the end of that statement. It seems, it seems like they want to sell... Th their intellectual property is all of the game materials and the books and the uh, supplementals and everything. But, like, to sell a separate virtual product in D&D uh, Beyond, which is, like, a, you know, just the virtual books, like, D&D Beyond doesn't seem like a good enough system to actually play the games on or have access to the book material enough to make it worth it. So... That is entirely yeah, it seems correct. Like you have to end up buying the freaking books, even though that's like, well, because those are more accessible just for being in your hand than whatever the D and D Beyond system is, because that's not a really good conducive way to play it. I mean, it's not like the D and D Beyond is attached to like a really seamless and well set up, you know, socially networked VTT for people to play online. So it does have its own VTT, but to my understanding, that VTT really sucks and is pretty new um yeah I've, I've never been on it so that tells me enough that like 
if it's not a contender with roll 20, it's like not really worth, you know, buying all of your game materials as separate digital assets. Especially when those digital assets are about the same price, if not more, if you're buying it piecemeal, about the same price as the physical materials. Uh, and for a long while, they didn't let you share digital content with people who were part of your games. So, like, God, if you, that. if I it's... bought Volo's Guide uh, through D&D Beyond and I was running a game for y'all, I would have the ability to make characters that were bugbears, but you wouldn't unless you bought that content separately. Oh, my God. And y'all have to buy it separately. You know what I'm getting from this is, like, that... It's conversations these days around uh, Nintendo and the digital availability of their games. It's like, you're setting, <laughs> you're setting this up in a way that incentivizes piracy. Yeah. So don't get bent out of shape if people are accessing this information. At the end of the day, what it is, it's what they have is not even the game necessarily. It's the information. Like, their game balancing stat blocks for uh, classes, races, enemies, and to some extent, um, you know, the actual campaign details. But that stuff is not so exclusive to these books that you would buy physically that you, sh you anybody wouldn't just be able to get them online anywhere. Yeah. Uh, um, the one thing I will say is they did change that. There's like a digital bookshelf that you can share with your table. But I think there's like a limit to it depending on like what kind of membership you have on D&D Beyond. Again, it's been a while since I've looked at this. This could be uh, outdated information. But like... I don't want to pay a subscription service to be able to share a book with my friend. Yeah. I mean, Netflix has been doing this, like, oh, Netflix has been doing it recently. Be like, oh, you can't share that much with people. And it's like, well, then the draw of your product is just not there anymore in the same way. Yeah. Especially since it's... they keep canceling every single show as soon as it gets popular. Because, oh, no, it's run for two seasons. Time, the, time to be done with, with it. It's run for two of piracy seasons. Is that, like, the the people that have the disposable income to be able to buy things and not pirate them, like, are often willing to, um, if nothing else, for then just to have it in the official capacity and support the creators. But, like, the more difficult it is, and, of course, the more, like, inaccessible it is for pricing because people don't have so much disposable income anymore. Thank you, Biden. Where's my other $600? Um, but... It's, it's just putting barriers between, you know, people actually getting to the product just based on uh money gating it which of course any you know commodity that you're trying to sell is but when it's something that's just the uh intellectual property of the information that's in a book like you know that can be scanned or that can be you know adapted to a pdf or an ascii like uh game facts guide oh. of just the straight details of what you know a newly introduced class is like once that gets out the information is like uncommodifiable mm -hmm. i'm sorry i'm rambling oh boy like, i was not yeah, expecting yeah. us to have that much to say about oh, i wicked was specifically because it's it's three lefties talking about digital uh ownership rights of digital content in the That's modern true. age it, like let's be honest it's mostly what you're paying for is the convenience of it because as you said once the stuff's out there people will just you know, you can make the sap blocks and stuff yourself. Actually, I don't know if you can do that in D&D &D Beyond, but, um... And I like having the books. Having a good book in front of you is wonderful. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But also, suffice to say, if they do end up re revoking access to those materials because they don't want to, you know, continue to host it or whatever, I don't think Wizards is dumb enough to not then offer people a discount slash voucher for Monsters of the Multiverse in that, like, okay, if you had both Volo's Guide and Mordenkainen's, you get a voucher for a free Monsters of the Multiverse. If you had one of them, then you get, like, half off from it. Yeah. I feel like they're, they're not, not dumb. dumb enough to refuse to do that, because if they do refuse to do that, they're gonna get so much bad press. And they they can't... They, I mean, they can weather it, but they, they don't need to invite it. They should be smart enough not to invite bad press. Especially yeah, no, now that the it's NFT market necessary. is, uh, like, in absolute shambles. Which, hell fucking yeah. So, next piece of news. I had it up, but then I ADHD'd so hard. I've, got one. I've got one for a hot moment. Hmm? Do you remember the Paizo Union? Well, you may have not known that they were actually represented in that certain meeting with a certain Christopher Smalls of the Amazon Labor Union, along with representatives of the Starbucks Union, and a whole bunch of other union stuff that met with the frickin' Joe Brandon president and uh, Kamala Harris to, uh, you know, put, put a little bit of squeeze on them for the people, at the very least, the symbolic sort of luncheon meeting that they had together. But um, I actually just caught that recently. The news had been going around about Chris Smalls and his uh, Eat the Rich jacket. Very nice way to put that on cameras in the uh, White House. That's wonderful. But I just found out that, like, a Paizo union rep was there. Like, people are... Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was surprised to see that. Like, of that's cool. This was a meeting of like, uh, you know, the the freaking two presidents and the uh, National Labor Relations Board head, I think. Um, and I had seen all the news about like Chris Smalls being there and like a Starbucks union rep. But then I was looking through uh, the RPG news, and it's like, oh, that's a Paizo. That's a Paizo there. Okay, <laughs> mm -hmm. interesting. So, uh, God bless. Power to the people. Yeah, the, the Paizo rep is how I found out about it because I follow a couple members of the Paizo union. That was uh, really... Yeah. Oh, but unfortunately, nothing's going to change about our country. We're all going to die in poverty. I mean, but, it's, it's possible. The fact uh, that they were publicly recognized uh, is, is, is at least something. It's, it's a war of attrition, unfortunately. It's a war of attrition against a side that uses a flamethrower, so... Well, uh, you know, it's like it was with uh, Margaret Thatcher. They have to win every day, we only have to win once. Something oh, like and that. we sure That's did win when Margaret, Margaret Thatcher died. Oh, man. Uh, oh, also, sh uh, rel related, uh, shouts out to, uh, how do you pronounce it? Sinn Féin? Get that unification going. God bless. All right. What other news do we have? Uh, last one is uh, XRT announces a new documentary on Dungeons and Dragons. A film being directed by Morgan John Fox and produced by Ted Speaker, both of whom were behind the company's trading, uh, the company's trading card documentary, The Hobby. Um, it's just going to be a documentary that covers the beginnings to the current like boom of D&D. And I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, except for, you know, that might be nice to put on. Because, you know, I'm always finding, like, new videos that discuss the actual history 
of D&D. Though I'll be curious to see uh, if they put in any emotional angle and whether I think it's cringe, weird, or if they start elevating Gary Gygax to a level of like, like if they give him some deification that I am just not comfortable with. Yeah, you don't have to de deify Gygax. Let's not deify Gygax. Um, thank you for being a huge part of this uh, like entire genre I care about, but holy cannoli. My reference point is like how much this documentary is going to talk about the chick tracks. I mean, it's got to talk about the satanic the, uh... panic at some point. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm really interested to see about how the uh, moral panic and uh, suburbanite hysteria is portrayed about this. Because that is one of the fundamental, like, interesting points about D&D's history. I'm curious to see what framing they're going to do with 4E in it, actually. Because, you know, as a 4E defender, even though there's stuff that are, is rough with the um, system, you know... It's fine. It, it, it's I like it better than three e or three point five. Uh, but I that that said, I, I don't want to be crucified today. I'd be really interested to see how they talk about uh, the way D and D in prisons has kind of shaped modern D and D to a certain degree. Uh, in that, like D and D is very popular in prisons, apparently, and. Uh, the fact that their dice were often confiscated because, like, they were gambling tools led to a an increase in the frequency of using spinners to roll instead of dice. And I'd, oh. I'd be really interested to see if they touch on that at all because that is, like, a genuine shift in D&D's history. I've legitimately never heard about that before. Yeah, yeah I just heard about it the other day. Some, uh, spinners. <laughs> we should play some <laughs> spinners D&D sometime. But yeah, like I, I'm really curious to see if they touch on it. They almost certainly won't. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of stuff. I'm just curious to see. I don't know. I've never watched their other documentary. I'm not planning on it. I'll be honest. Um, uh, but it, I, I'm always a little wary of some documentaries because I know every documentary has an angle. I know that framing devices are very important in documentaries, and I don't know. It, it's impossible to get what I'd want out of a documentary, which is just dry historical facts. What because I want out of a documentary is some is like an hour video of someone just like slapping a slapping a, uh, a like a cardboard cutout of Gygax until it just slowly degrades. <laughs> like go. Go fucking uh, office space printer on a cutout of Gygax. Miles, is this a, a new kink of yours I've discovered? <laughs> it's not a kink. Just the more I learn about the man, the more I want him removed from the history of the thing that he helped make. Yes. Listen, and, all I'm going to say... And would, and would despise the modern version of... Listen... All I'm saying is that he's right. Ever since I started taking hormones, my mind hasn't been, you know, able to play TTRPGs. I just can't. It's hard. Okay. You did stop GMing. Oh, that happened way before the <laughs> way. hormones. Um, that's an anxiety ADHD combo there. Yeah, well, where do you think that comes from? 
the tra the transness. Uh, it's, uh, anyway, All yeah, right. I, I feel I like this. Got, yeah, get, that was a flop. Yeah, yeah, let's just let's just move on from that. Um, yeah, Gary hey. Gygax would be like, "There's damn trans people play uh, playing the game." Oh, I mean, he I would mostly he just be up what a trans person was. Oh, he'd be like, "All right, let's talk to somebody who isn't trans," and they're like, Ooh, "What?" Are you playing the game? Like, yes, I'm non-binary. I don't know what that is. Damn, it's all queer people playing the, my game now. I mean, even just setting aside for that, this. he'd hate that. He'd hate that there's you know anything except rigid combat in it. He was a very firm proponent of role playing not being a big part of it. Most of yep, our role playing comes from uh, two other people who worked on it. One of whom was scrubbed from the history by Gygax, but. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, were you excited last episode when we said we weren't going to spend 25 minutes talking about our home games and thought that we would be, you know, even remotely more efficient in our delivery? Psych, we just spent 40 minutes, I think, talking about news. <laughs> Listen, you know what? I honestly, that was fun news, though. I mean, yeah, it was good conversation, but I, I just looked at the timer on my recording. <laughs> So, how about, uh, did we want to do a real quick mind game then, or... Let's do it. Uh, Jamie, do you want to describe this game you've constructed? We've got a new mind game. There was a homebrew item popularized in the McElroy family's The Adventure Zone called the Ring of the Grammarian, a special magical uh, item that allowed you to adjust letters at a time to a spell to make the spell have an entirely different meaning. Uh, today, I have found us three random spells from Dungeons & Dragons 5e, and we're going to see how we can mess with the meaning of them through simple letters or even whole uh, syllable alterations, starting with Aura of Purity. Yeah, the problem, like, we've got, we've got our three spells, so we've had a little bit of time to think, and unfortunately I've only been able to think of something for the third one. I have nothing for Aura of Purity. Okay, aura, here's what's of, up. Aura, aura of aura Punity. Aura of Punity. Okay. It uh, it uh, strikes sinners. It's an AOE attack against uh, those who have transgressed in the immediate vicinity. I was yeah. thinking Aura of Puree, which is like <laughs> a soup-based. It just makes uh, pureed foods swirl around you in a miasma. Or um, it I just... It, it's a very vicious spell that just purees your enemies into a slush. I like Ooh, Aura of Aura Punity, of Puree, honestly. Yeah. Aura of Punity is striking me as kind of like a uh, an Aura version of Hellish Rebuke. Like, if someone strike, if someone makes an attack against you, they take, like, 1d4 whatever damage. Oh, that makes sense. Good job. Well, yes. That's interesting. Um, or I'm trying to think of what Aura can be changed into, and I'm thinking actually Gourd. Gourd of Purity, is that anything? You summon a large squash that cleanses the uh, landscape's uh, vegetable and uh, ecosystem. I mean, the Gourd of Purity just kind of sounds like the Great Pumpkin. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. something you're always waiting around for but does not exist? Yeah, but now that's like does. a druid worships the Gourd of Purity that like they're always waiting for every Halloween. <laughs> Our next spell is Find Greater Steed. And I, I've never actually encountered this spell in a game, but it's about, like, finding a... I imagine there's a find steed, but this is a find greater steed. So, if your uh, character is very into drugs, you find greater speed. 
Okay. Which lets you find the best quality speed you can the on the pure, market. The pure shit. Mm -hmm. Uncut. There's I was thinking uh, fine greater steed, F-I-N-E, <laughs> so that like if a royal knight is coming down the highway, you cast fine greater steed and be like, oh, that's a, that is a thoroughbred Clydesdale, sir, with uh, fancy ornate gold armor. You're going to need to pay the toll. And then you get maybe like 55 gold from him. <laughs> and if they d don't do that, then you get to cast bind greater steed on them to make sure that they do pay you that toll. Yeah. See, what if I, you're in an armory, but you want to find the best sword, so you cast Find Greater Steel? Mm. I do like that one, too. And also, Maz, I feel like we've been talking over you. And no, I it's you, fine. So please. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all I had for this was, like, Find fine Greater Steer. And that's if you just want, like, a real <laughs> fucking pretty bull. Oh, gonna, yeah. Gonna construct, like, a fake bull costume and then have a child with that bull and imprison it forever. Oh, and that classic Zeus shit. That tripped me out as a kid. I was reading about Greek myths and it like, yeah, Zeus had the power to make a woman like super horny for cows. Crazy. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about daedles. find greater deed? <laughs> just to find oh, yeah. ownership. Well, that could be something if you've just entered a town and you want to do something good for the people. Like, what is the greatest deed? Oh, the, a yeah. good, Not a yeah. good deed, a great deed. A greater deed, the best, like, moral good action you could do for this town. Uh, is there something, and this is my last one, because I feel like we should just keep this one short and sweet, is find greater bleed, which, like finds weak points in an opponent's armors you cast it in like the <laughs> areas Incredibly, that's the femoral artery jay <laughs> <laughs> Shut, but you cast it you cast it and you are able to see the weak points of their armor like the kind femoral of artery <laughs> fine fine sure sure and then we have fun, one more that was the greater uh, steve you just find oh, really good like steve. steve and you pay him it's actually very useful if you have a bunch of steves in the town and you just need to know who is the best. Or maybe one, or maybe your friend Steve, like there's also a doppelganger that's pretending to be him nearby. So you like have to find the greater one. I don't know if that's, uh, if the doppelganger is a better Steve than Steve himself, that raises more questions. Hmm. And the last word we have is mislead. And I believe Miles... So what does this spell, what does this spell do, mislead? Uh, so mislead, I believe causes people to like get lost essentially let me let me I think like that are not able to track you I believe yeah. yeah yeah you become invisible and at the same time an illusory copy of you appears yeah uh so you can move I the see. double and all of that uh I was thinking mislaid where you select a like target item within a certain distance and then that item is essentially still visible to you but invisible to everyone else Oh, uh, I like that. Because it has now been lost. I was thinking if somebody is uh, operating a forklift, you would cast Misload on them, and the, and then their forklift tips over because the weight was balanced improperly. Uh, it makes sense, yeah. I also can tell really, you what that, you're Really, that makes sense? I don't know. I mean, I <laughs> think it's neat. I'm yes and you. That's the purpose of you. this exercise. <laughs> okay, yes and. Are you sure? Well, I guess not. I love you. Yeah, you can tell who got what sort of certification in the last couple weeks since we podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one's changing a lot of it, but dismayed. Just 
Instead of mislead, dismayed. Uh, that's a pretty big change. That is a pretty big change. It would be higher spell slots, but that would, like, cause someone to become, uh, like, demoralized. Yeah. Uh, it's like, like that maybe uh, have, like, if you're doing Pathfinder, like, have fear or something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I'm pretty bad with the one-word ones. Yeah, um, this one's difficult. Have y'all been playing Wordle? I think that might come into play for a game like this. Never played a bit of Wordle. I did, and then I fell off a while ago, not long after it got bought by the New York Times. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. Miss Weed, now. Miss Thang. Uh, nah, I, I think I'm done with uh, this one. It's yeah. fun, though. I yeah, like this I don't one. have it's anything nice but mislaid. That's fair. I think this one's just a nice... I like this game. It's a nice short one. Um, and I think it's even easier to come up with funnier stuff than uh, our Give Me a Guy segment. So uh, now we are going to enter our, G Fuck. our GM uh, workshop. Where we uh, usually talk about things that we're working on, but also we are now kind of trying to highlight various homebrews that we ourselves are making or others are. And Jay found one from winghornpress.com. It is a homebrew for 5e. I guess he's reading it because he took my phone. It's from a my great, head. it's a great boss monster. Uh, they, yeah. So Winghorn Press posts. Uh, this is back in March of 2016, so it's a throwback. Ravenloft is upon us, which means it's time to break out the spooky monsters. And what could be spookier than an appearance of actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf? Yeah, this is Go, what uh, I've seen. Uh, seen making the circuits like, yeah, a couple years ago. I was gonna say like three years ago, but. 2016 was six years ago. Time is... Time sure is something. So this is a full, like, boss monster stat block. It's excellent um, with all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, skill proficiencies. It is a medium humanoid of chaotic evil with a bunch of different attacks, such as sharpening an axe, brandishing a knife, actual cannibal. He has a bonus action called He Gets Down on All Fours and breaks into a sprint. Until the start of the next turn, his movement speed is increased to 60 feet. It's crazy stuff. There's a bunch of interesting attacks. Um, uh, Death in His Eyes, which is a rechargeable ability to paralyze uh, any creature that can see him within 30 feet. And uh, by the... Oh, challenge rating 5. And by the end of it, uh, has Shia Surprise. Ten minutes after being reduced to zero hit points, Shia returns to life and regains 45 1d8 hit points. Shia cannot use this ability if his head is removed or his body completely destroyed. So, keep that in mind when you are fighting actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. And anyone that's actually listening, we could really appreciate if you'd like us to go more in-depth when we're covering homebrew, or if you want us just to kind of keep it short and sweet like that. Uh, again, we're trying to figure this one out. We just know we wanted it to cover more homebrew. And so just giving a quick little overview of it. So if you would like to uh, incorporate actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf into maybe a Halloween uh, one shot where you're playing with memes and having some fun, you can find that on winghornpress.com uh, posted by RM Jansen Parks in March of 2016. The monster actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. So that's our little promo. We can do stuff like that. Yep, yeah. and if you have any homebrew of your own, just let us know. We will take a look at it. Uh, we have some of our own just kind of in the wings for when we don't have anything. But we would love to talk about what other people are making because 
the TTRPG community is full of so many fun ideas, and it's ridiculous to think that we have the best ourselves, if not even, if we even have any good ones, period. But... Hey, self-deprecation. If you're just joining us this time uh, for the first time, you may also want to know uh, that Miles has put out some wonderful homebrew uh, compendiums for D&D uh, races that are like half elf and half orc and half anything else. Miles, plug it right now. Here's your opportunity. Yeah. Uh, oh, geez. Uh, it's It's been a bit, but it was on... D&D Beyond, and I believe also... Oh, no, sorry, not D&D Beyond. DM's Guild. DM's Guild. Uh, and it was the Wanderer's Guide to Half-Elves, Wanderer's Guide to Half-Orcs. There's also the combo that is the Complete Wanderer's Guide. I think Complete Wanderer's Guide is like five bucks, and it amounts to somewhere on the order of like 80-some playable races for 5e, uh, because... The default answer to, okay, you're a half-orc, what's the other half, has pretty much always canonically been human, but fuck that noise. Uh, there's there's a whole lot of other things. Taking the characteristics of different playable races in D&D, unfortunately only the officially released ones, so uh, certain things weren't allowed to be in there yet. Uh, but yeah, combining them and seeing how they respond with each other, like... Uh, a mixture between a, a an elf and a genasi utilizes that elemental connection to get access to some more cantrips like you would if you were a, a high elf but then also like channeling that elemental connection to increase the damage you deal by with those spells by a certain amount that i'm forgetting uh for a, a while a day but if you were, say, a half-orc, half-genasi, you'd utilize that elemental connection and use it to bolster yourself and have sort of like an aura of that damage uh, as you gain resistance to it as well. Like, utilizing the mystical connection with elves or utilizing the, like, resilience with orcs. And, you know, it's not everything 100% in there. Like, you know, all of the half-orcs aren't just physical, all of the elves aren't just magical, but there's some interesting combinations. Uh, another personal favorite is the half-orc, half-furbolg, uh, who is essentially just a Bigfoot. Ah. <laughs> or if you play it like me, just a innocent sneezy girl for one entire game. But that's another subject altogether. One entire session. <laughs> But it is, I, I will, wow, surprisingly, I will give, you know, good thumbs ups to Miles' project. It's really comprehensive. And even if you, like, if even if something isn't in there, it is enough to make you think about how that would work. And it's really nice, really useful. Um, The core nature of our uh, GM workshop is to communicate the idea you can make up anything you want. And that's what's powerful about these games. Yep. And uh, just to like workshop a little something Jay and I have been working on. Uh, we've been working on a, uh, like a, we keep just calling it a highway fantasy game, very 90s inspired. And it wasn't originally like intended to be related to it, but while I was editing the podcast today, I just, you know, casually just doodled a pixel art slime. 
And then Jay and I were just talking while making dinner about how we could incorporate slimes into this setting. Because we've been struggling with figuring out tone. Um, and, a qu and a question came up. Why are you attacking slimes? And why are there so many slimes to be attacked? And, like, I hate to say this, but how to justify or just, uh, like, assuade any guilt? Like, I drew my thing looking sad. It's a sad-looking slime. But... It's kind of like the problem that I think a lot of people have with current D&D is just how can we justify like fighting everything because we're, we're not, not more we're socially not, conscious. Yeah, and we're not violent people and why, uh, why, I mean, everything, all narrative conflicts in our culture is generally sort of violence based. You know, you succeed and get victory by like the appropriate application of violence to the person appropriate to leverage violence against. Not to get too much into the sort of socio-cultural aspects of why we tell stories like this, but um, we were thinking about much the way that uh, Pokemon can, for instance, totally justify, like, why we are having these creatures fight each other outside of, like, you know, bad faith uh, interpretations of, like, oh, is this cockfighting? Uh, no. The universe is set up so that like the Pokemon want to do this and are okay with doing this. Likewise, we were trying to figure out how to make slimes work in that in that sort of like framing. And like what we kind of came up with is a little bit almost uh, like uh, Jay was describing it like Digimon, in that uh, slimes kind of in this setting all have a compulsion to just consume things, and like the reason you'll mostly see just like green gooey slimes just because all they're doing is just consuming plant matter but a lot of them might consume like pieces of just debris that's like left over from people yeah if and they attack an adventurer they might chew off little bits of um like leather armor or steel from their swords or something and I was thinking about it like Digimon because you know how all Miles you know how mm -hmm. all Digimon start out as like little ball forms and then evolve into like bigger monsters. Yeah, a Digimon in training will digivolve to rookie and digivolve to champion and, and ultimate champion too. champion and ultimate too. What? Yes, um, of course. So we were thinking about like, well, maybe a slime is just a proto monster, a monster that hasn't is in its larval state, and what they need to do is go around getting into fights and you know consuming little bits of matter here and there enough to evolve into their next form and maybe something that eats just only plants evolves into some sort of plant monster and maybe something that eats pieces of leather and steel from adventurers uh, can evolve into some sort of goblin hmm. that's a really cool idea so this is a concept for slimes um oh that also revolved around like when you kill a monster it sort of just you know in a dark souls way it, it like gets sent back to its last resting area which is we talked about like you know primordial crucible see I, I like how you choose the darkest version of it because i was getting my frame of reference from rune factory where you don't kill monsters when you beat them they go back to their home which is the first forest oh, oh yeah i mean same, yeah same <laughs> concept here they just like respawn back at home maybe if it's a higher stage monster it gets reduced back to slime form and then works its way back up again yeah. and i was saying that like maybe these monsters, while we are living a sort of, like, Dungeons & Dragons adventuring life, the monsters are living, like, a roguelite, where they are in these, like, procedurally generated, like, die, keep trying, die, keep trying, 
but like, you know, one at a time getting... One run at a time, like, getting slightly better outcomes and more advancements. This is... Uh... This is a really interesting idea, and I I love it, and I think it creates the possibility for a really cool, like, anti-campaign, essentially. Uh, it's also reminding me a little bit of my own headcanon for how mimics work. Actually, you know what? To be fair... Jay brought that up. I did bring it up that while we were discussing this, I did uh, steal some of the stuff of how you made the mimic companion we got in our chapter one game of like our long campaign work because it's like honestly i think that would work very well for slimes and honestly yeah. that would also work uh the way we have our mimic set up in this campaign uh, campaign they wouldn't really work the way that yours did um because mm -hmm. we've already accidentally mimics were one of the first monsters we created in this we'll bring that up maybe next week or something what? well because they are our favorite mimics? monster at this point of course <laughs> Uh, no, but yeah, like a mimic is just a variant of this slime that has, you know, put more skill ranks into its uh, absorption and uh, like physical alteration system. Yeah, it's stealth stat and it's, uh, you know, item disguise abilities. Yeah, yeah. At, at the risk of going too much into uh, setting lore for something, um, just real quick, like abbreviated version is... Uh, our setting basically has that a uh, few centuries ago, there was a great convergence of all of the continents that took place over like 80 years, which again, 80 years for all continents forming together would be... It'd be it a was a repangia. Oh a repangia moment. Yeah. Um, and it was during this convergence that that's when like a lot of these uh, specifically like monsters first came from, like, the cracks of the, like, the tectonic plates shifting and whatnot. Yeah. And it's unknown if, like, they all literally came from the Earth, uh, just Earth, or if it's metaphorical, but, uh, so yeah, when you defeat them, they go back to where they came from, basically. The Primordial Crucible. Or we just mm -hmm. need to create, like, a Fey Realm thing. This yeah. is a, this is um, a really cool idea. I'm... I'm very excited to hear more about it, and honestly, I might, I might incorporate a little bit of that slime idea in in future things because it's a really, really cool idea. Thank you. I I was hoping you'd like it, and so, you know what? I guess this kind of accidentally like, I don't even know what I'd really we have to like discuss about it because I I said it was a workshop, but now it's just kind of being us BSing about something we were working on instead of a workshop. Yeah, it. we were just brainstorming. I mean, um, like, it, it's going to be fun to create, like, maybe next week or something for a little brain teaser, we could try to create, like, what would the evolution paths be for some slimes, you know? Okay, so... Uh, here's it's just turning into Digimon Digivolution trees. Yeah, that's the problem, I'm because my, my brain with. immediately went to the to the crest system in Digimon, and the one that I started to build out whenever I was like... Eh, you know what? Let's try and think about a Digimon TTRPG. Let's let's try and build that out and create like different experience bars essentially for your affiliation with the different crests and that changing what you became as you digivolved. You know, classic tie forcing Agumon to evolve into Skull Greymon. Ugh. But like, yeah, that that's immediately making me think of this for the 
for the slime system is just like, okay, you, you put things into different classifications for what they're absorbing, and then those different classifications create, like, essentially sub-menus. It becomes, I mean, realistically, it becomes a, a, uh, oh, what is it? It's not a decision tree, it's, it's a flowchart. It becomes essentially like a flowchart. Oh, chart. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I guess, a nested flowchart. Because first it has to check against different, like, variable values. I don't know. Now, now I'm creating a program for this in my brain, and that's... <laughs> I don't want to do that. Also, this just gives me an excuse to just draw a lot of slimes, because... I don't know. Slimes are easy, and whenever I make them, I feel happy, because there's low chance of screwing up their design. You can draw all different forms of slimes now. You can draw a slime with, like, a little hat that indicates what elemental tendency it has been developing. I'm just gonna make Kirby now. You can, <laughs> Sorry, you can draw no, some slimes you can't make with Kirby, some chunks Jay. in them. We've talked about this. You can't just keep making Kirby. You can draw slimes with chunks in them because they, you know, absorbed undigestible material. I, I might also have to replay through some Slime Rancher as well. Hey, Slime Rancher is a great reference point for uh, fusing elemental variants of slimes. And also the fact mm -hmm. that slimes just appear from the ground naturally every day at all times so you don't need to like feel bad about them dying necessarily because like because yeah the, that's the thing is like uh the tone we were trying to go for well we went back and forth on a lot of tones and we still have some like uh darker spooky stuff happening but i i we kind of kept trying to be like nah this is like a fun road trip adventure like this is the kind of thing where your characters are gonna get a chainsaw to take down a dragon which sounds gruesome but if you also think about it it's just kind of fun and campy you know or maybe my view of fun and campy is different than other people's hmm. um, jay's favorite campy film is uh evil dead <laughs> i've never <laughs> seen evil dead it's pretty campy uh, yeah, my, uh, I think there's actually been a lot of Earthbound inspirations in this setting, which will become obvious eventually. It's some sort of quirky Earthbound-inspired RPG. <laughs> That's also really sad. Never played a game like that before. Uh, but uh, to keep us going, let us go to RPG Horror Stories. Uh, da, 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 grabbing the story Miles posted for us. Yeah, let's do the one from last ago. week. The one I posted today doesn't suit it as well. Posted on r slash RPG Horror Stories by user Equine Fecal Matter. Wow, great. Thank you. Forever DM gets to be a player. We find out that he should continue to be a Forever DM. For anyone just joining us, a Forever DM is someone who always runs the game and never is a player character in them, usually because this person is the best at spreadsheets. So, TL TLDR at the end. So, our Forever DM has said it many, many times. I just wish I could play. A player of ours had actually begun reading into D&D more and decided that he wanted to run a game. The game he's running is essentially a pirate-themed island-slash-ocean adventure, which is based off of the album The Mollusk by Ween. It's quite honestly some of the most fun I've ever had with the group, and we've had a great time with character and world interaction. Yeah, the voyage around the corner of the globes is a real trip. Okay, 
Our new DM is still getting the hang of some of the mechanics of running the game, but his storytelling is fantastic and is a breath of fresh air when it comes to this group, as our forever DM typically runs dungeon crawls, goblin splatting, dragon slaying, power gaming sorts of adventures. It's all well and good, of course, but there's a reason I also play with more story-oriented groups. So there's going to be a couple people I'll refer to. I'll call them the forever DM, FDM, and the new DM, NDM. Okay, uh, editor's note, I'm gonna call this forever and new. Me is obviously me. So to begin, our adventure starts on the main island of the campaign. We meet this wizard who is all, you are the chosen ones, picking us out of the crowd of people, which I let slide, considering that this was new DM's first session. And that particular wizard showed a fair bit of irony peeping through his gray robes. For example, he just, had magic plastic covers over his furniture because his cat named Garfield, as new DM, pulled out a little stuffed Garfield he brought with, kept pissing on them. He explained uh, this in complete deadpan, which made it that much better. So this wizard gives each of us an uncommon item and sent us on our way. Along the main quest line, after Forever DM, nearly burning down our ship like an idiot, even though we told him not to use fire spells against our enemies on our ship, we find this weird cave where I think some sirens or harpies had attacked us from. So, as we investigate, we find a small pool of water in this rather empty cave. Forever DM immediately jumps into the water without dis discussion, finds a chest, opens it, and finds a yellow eel and a bunch of treasure. I take the eel and the treasure. The rest of us are a little silent here as we just sort of watch this happen. The eel, turns out, allows the wearer to swim and breathe in water. This was a reference to the song Golden Eel from the playlist. Sure, whatever. We'll find more treasure. Later on, near the end of the adventure, we find another cave that an eight-fingered man, a reference to Polka Dot Tail, I think, had directed us to. Fight our way through a few levels of dungeon and reached the bottom. An unarmed skeleton kinda waved at us and told us to pick from three doors. He seemed pretty chill, and we cracked a few skelly jokes with him, and we picked our door. Behind the door were several armed skeletons and some treasure. We take care of the skeletons, haul the treasure on the ship, and begin to leave. Forever DM takes out his quarterstaff. I hit him. Why? We all ask. I kid you not, in unison. Uh, because it's funny. He said this while completely straight-faced, with no one else at the table even smiling. The entire environment goes still for a few painful seconds. The new DM just quietly says, Uh, rolled a hit. He hits, of course. The unarmed and unarmored skeleton, cracking his left femur in half as the skeleton was left with 1 HP given their vulnerability to bludgeoning and such. All of the players are WTFing, and the new DM mimics a horribly accurate cry of pain from the skeleton. We, the party, restrain Forever DM's character, cast Reduce on him, and throw him in our brig, profusely apologize to the skeleton, and ask if he would care to join our crew. The skeleton said sure but that he would really be able to help, really wouldn't be able to help until his femur was healed. He's an undead, meaning he couldn't be healed by magic. So that's how we learned our Forever DM shouldn't play a character. TLDR, Forever DM plays a chaotic neurotic war mage, nearly sets our ship on fire, steals all the loot, murder hobos a friendly skeleton, and gets reduced cast on him, thrown into our brig, and put in manacles for the remainder of the session. That was... Posted on r slash RPG Horror Stories by user Equine Fecal Matter. So, Horse Shit has given us the story of a of a forever GM who suddenly, with the freeform agency of a player character, 
begins to enact some of the reckless behavior of uh, someone who's relatively new to the game from a player perspective. I, I hate to generalize because I wouldn't necessarily always believe this to be the case, but it, it does seem like, is this like the natural progression of someone who mostly runs dungeon crawls to being a player, just plays a chaotic, stupid character? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This is a dungeon crawl mindset. Like, you've gone through it. You're going to cast your stuff. Um, well, if it's literally a dungeon, this dude has not been uh, particularly experienced with, like, being on a wooden... It, being in a fully wooden environment. See, this, to I... me, sounds more, more than anything like a GM taking revenge for... Uh, crazy things their players have done now that they're in the player seat which is a really common thing for players who find or for gms who find themselves in the player seat they'll like act out things that their players have done so that they can have the like shitty backstabbing satisfaction of like all right you caused problems for me when i was the dm now i'm gonna cause problems for you I'm going to derail oh, what you want to do. And it's yeah, a really it common thing. How's it feel to thing. be a freaking... How's it feel to have murder hobos hanging out, disrupting your plot line, and uh, antagonizing your NPCs? And making the table really bad for everyone else involved. Like, Was it really bad? I don't know about that. I mean... It doesn't seem like anyone else at the table particularly enjoyed what they were doing, and it did seem like it was hampering their experience. Yeah. But also, that's the perspective of this person who cared so much about it to post it on RPG horror stories. So, you know, grain of the salt. The rest of the crew also got their, you know, had their agency. They freaking reduced and restrained this guy. Yeah. So is reduced like you make him small? Yes. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, I shrunk the dick. <laughs> I sounded like I had more to say there. No, I just, it, it does sound like someone, it, you know, I think that's it, is I can't get a grasp on why the person did this. So me trying to understand or like come up with like an explanation for anything, you know, this could just be like, wow, too much freedom. Hadn't really ever thought about like, the consequences of my actions like that. I was always the one who was acting or being acted upon. I don't know. Uh, I feel like there's not a whole lot more to say about it uh, that's not just diving directly into our topic because mm -hmm. this exactly was the topic at hand. Miles, it seems like you recently have uh, stepped down from being a forever GM for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing in a game for about as long as I've been uh, running our our past game that we've been doing on Mondays, but recently I stopped running that game for uh, Chapter 3 of it because one of our players has a much better idea and, like, thought process for things that involve the Fae, and I was feeling a little bit of DM fatigue, and she has better ideas about what the Fae can do and you know involving that so like i passed along my notes from the first two sections and my ideas for where part three could have gone and you know relinquished that story control she bounced one or two things off of me but other than like the barest amount 
I know about as much as the rest of you do. And I'm enjoying it. I get to be a player. I get to focus on just one character. I don't need to worry about how all of our actions are affecting the rest of the world. Uh, I, I don't need to run the living world that all of my games are. It's nice. It's, it's freeing to relinquish this control. And it's because I... I respect... I respect Zoe. I respect the person who is running this game now. I trust in her to give us a good game with with a little bit of the groundwork that I yeah, had set up with our previous uh, chapters. You didn't just, like, step down as, like, GM. Like, so we finished the campaign, and... Uh, but you not only um, stepped down... You stepped down with a kind of on and off again, or like a long, like loose narrative. That's, sorry, I'm, I'm not really phrasing my words very well, but that must be uh, a little bit of a different feeling than just stopping GMing and, you know, someone else just plays a game that's not related at all. Yeah, this it is, is the same. It is definitely a different thing because, like, there are things that I, there are things that I know about this about this current campaign that we're doing that I can't share with y'all, but that have me really excited. Like, I, I catch little snippets of things. I'm like, oh, ooh, oh, I I know a thing about that. My character doesn't know shit, and I'm not going to comment on it, but like, ooh, hello. Hmm. Hmm. It's You know stuff coming down the pipeway, and yeah, like we talked about, you relinquish control of being a GM to somebody else who's doing it now, but in this particular circumstance, you're relinquishing control over the same continuous narrative we've been doing for a while and that you've been in charge of the last two sessions. So you must really have a lot of faith in the abilities of our new GM, Zoe, who's been on the podcast in previous episodes. I absolutely fucking do. Um, I've been at the table with Zoe, with her GMing, with me GMing, with other people GMing for many years now. I have absolute, I have absolute faith and trust in in her abilities uh and she's been doing a fantastic job and like there are things that you both do differently that i can appreciate both styles of how you have been uh running your games but what would you say it sounds like the like less responsibility and the more room to breathe has been like the biggest benefit correct Absolutely. Um, the thing is, whenever whenever Forever GMs step down into being a player, realistically, the problem is right there with the way I said it. It's not a step down. Mm -hmm. You are not stepping down to being a player. You are stepping across. You're, you're, it's a you're, lateral move. Yeah, you're shifting to the side. You still have tons of agency over the effect of the story. You're just experiencing the story linearly and, whereas you know, a gm I, you, you kind of aren't like you're you're doing a lot more non-linear crafting of the narrative and you're right like so i've never been a specifically forever gm but for my uh in-person friend group i was specifically their forever gm for quite a while and uh, a few years ago i finally it's just like, nah, nah, uh, our, our one friend can run the next game. And it was very interesting for me. Uh, first of all, because, 
you know, it was the first time I wasn't completely aware of the setting, the rules. Like, I was completely caught off guard that uh, we were dealing with a lot more fantasy racism than I ever put in any of my games, because I played a tiefling, and I was like, oh, so the reason why we all were starting off in jail and the reason my character was in jail was simply because tiefling. And I was like, oh, so so this is the yeah, route just, we're yeah, going. Yeah, just because you're a tiefling in town and some pig's trying to make quota. <laughs> Pretty much. But um, aside from that, it was just... It's very freeing, as you said, very nice to not have to worry about, like, keeping every, making sure everyone had storylines for everything. Uh, I, I don't want to say that you're, sorry, thuds. Um, no, fucking put me on blast, do it. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, in a way, when you're GMing, you are kind of playing everyone's characters. Like, you know, when you're role-playing uh, one character... You're always role-playing off everyone, but a lot of times you'll end up in a storyline with one or two of the other players, um, and you're leading yourselves off of that. But when you're a GM, you have to spend that time and effort and energy to make sure everyone is getting their arcs, their moments to shine. You're, you're not just playing your character. You're playing all the NPCs, but you're also playing the role of the spotlight itself. Mm -hmm. which can be tiring. Yeah. Uh, I'll um, also say, like, your your example with, like, oh, this is how we're doing this thing, that's, that's something that can be really hard to adjust to, is people having a different idea of how the world is going to work. Uh, oh, for sure. And... and and especially rules calls. Uh, yes. <laughs> forever GMs that. that are now players make the worst fucking rules lawyers. Oh gosh, um, it our our GM, and I've mentioned this in the podcast way long time ago. But uh, that GM for the longest time, we were doing various things we did got us experience points, which led to our rogue in five E being like a full level ahead above all of us because she was going around and like doing sneaky rogue shit pickpocketing um like unlocking locks and basically playing like a video game like you know and it just it, it i'm never big on most experience points um as, as a whole in 5e specifically um games that like you have like five experience points and then it's um Games that you have, like, five experience points and then level up, uh, that's different. Uh, uh, but 5e, I'm almost always on uh, milestones. And if not milestones, like, um, what's it, just session experience points. Mm -hmm. But aside yeah. from my specifics, yeah, wh what's it been like for you? Uh, just uh, not, you don't have to put Zoe on blast or anything, but what's it been like adjusting to... Not being in the driver's seat. I mean, I definitely... I, I, I'm i not going to pretend I'm perfect. I definitely have those moments of, like, having to remember to take a step back and not, you know, provide unasked for input on how to call something on a rules call. Like, if I'm... If I have an idea of how something might operate that isn't explicitly stated, I, I'll say, how do you want me to do this? And, like... I'll, uh, I've, I've been rattling off a couple of things for just, like, 
interesting ideas that I'm not really sure of and, you know, trying to bounce those ideas off of her because she makes the final call. Uh, but, like, I know full well when I was starting to transition back out of being a GM, because I, I have long stretches where I only GM for, like, years at a time sometimes. Uh, and I know full well sometimes, especially the first time I transitioned from a forever GM period to a player period, I know I was, I know I was overstepping. I know I was backseat GMing and I had to work against that because that's a shitty thing to do to somebody. But like it, it is a hard thing and it's, it can be extra hard whenever someone's been GMing for a group for a long time and they've become like the default person to look to for uh, rules calls and mechanics calls. I don't think that's the case with our group because basically all of us think about how something would be ruled in every instance. So we're just constantly like workshopping rules calls between us. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We're very freeform with each other. Especially because we got you and me who are weird liking to look up rules people. And then we have a couple other players who are a bit more freeform. Um, but also always willing to like help brainstorm everything with us. Yeah. I, um, me personally, I know I have a tendency towards suggesting, suggesting things that are outside the scope of our VTT, like operating skill checks using a different ability score. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh gosh, we're gonna have to do an episode at some point in the near future about how much I really want to mother loving run a game in person again, which is why I'm like, why am I moving to a state where I don't know anyone? I oh want my to do god, this. we got all these physical stuffs recently for... Uh, Savage Pathfinder and it's all physical stuff and we're like Christ if only we had we could freaking get people together I know but like that's it's... no sorry no no, no just it... that's its own subject <laughs> uh, I was just gonna it's... say re relinquishing that control and that creative input is is hard it's something you have to counteract in yourself you have to recognize that you know that's not the role you are playing right now. Everyone's playing a role, including the GM, and you're not playing that role right now. So, it's, it's, like, you wouldn't play someone else's character for them, hopefully, if you're listening to this. So, you're, you're not going to be GMing for someone either. Unless they specifically you ask you You wouldn't to. download a character. Uh, oh, I would. You wouldn't, you wouldn't download a, <laughs> you wouldn't download a source book. Conversely, uh, if you are the person who's stepping up into the into like filling the shoes of someone who was a forever GM and you're now GMing for that same group, if you can use that person as a resource, do it. Like, don't be afraid to use your table as a resource. I mean, realistically, a lot of this advice does boil down to like first time GMs, nervous advice that we've covered before, but like. Use your players as a resource. But I will say, if you're stepping into the role, into, like, the GM chair, after someone else has been in it for a long time in this group, you gotta set those boundaries. You gotta establish those boundaries and those expectations and be like, hey, this is how we've been doing things with this person. Things are gonna be a little bit different. These are the things that, uh, like, I might have Look some different Look house roles. I'm this captain now. I might have some different house rules 
and like these are some of them and this is like how things are gonna go and yeah i'm i'm i am gming now so ultimately this is my call i don't think you need to necessarily front load all of that especially you know in a group of your friends hopefully your friends respect you uh but it can't hurt to enforce those boundaries so long as you do it in a you know reasonable healthy way uh be because <laughs> bold of you to assume <laughs> bold like, of you to assume i process anything in a normal healthy way just like enforcing those boundaries if someone is you know, looking to the former GM for their rules call instead. If the GM doesn't, you know, immediately hand it off to you, you can also just say, they're not GMing right now. This is my call. I made it. That is 100% true. And that can be hard for a lot of us, I think. Yeah. Um, especially when someone is taking over. It's one of those things where, you know, we I agree with you that you shouldn't say it's stepping down, but it's also like, Regardless of how we do feel about it, there is, like, a certain amount of, I don't want to say reverence, but, like, authority yeah. to it. And it, it still can be hard for even as a player. Like, there's sometimes where I'm like, oh, I want to go to you for my questions. It has nothing to do with disrespecting our new GM. It's just habit and been like, well, you've been my GM now for, like, yeah, over two a year. years. And if you're oh, and if you're a, a newer GM wow. and you're at a table and one of your players is your normal like forever GM, like you should feel comfortable like referring to them for how would you rule this, and you can take their advice on it, and you have the authority to uh, also blow that advice off. Just like, uh, okay, good feedback, interesting. I'm thinking about it. I'm not gonna do it like that. Yeah, the the key to that situation is the former GM not offering it in a vacuum and yeah like mm -hmm. providing it when asked for because i think that's also going to make the new gm more likely to feel comfortable asking because they know that it's you know them exercising their ability to utilize that person as a resource rather than that person just like having their cake and eating it too like they get the yeah, freedom of being a player GM... character while also the authority of being a gm if you're the old GM and you're seeing the new GM, like, struggling, don't necessarily, like, just offer advice. It just remind them that they can ask you if there's something they're unsure about. Yeah. But again, if you notice they are struggling with something, like, I, I'm not going to text Zoe and say, Hey, you know, if you're ever uncertain about a rules call, you can feel free to ask me, uh, and I'll I'll give some input. Like, no, <laughs> we've been playing together for years. That, and she doesn't know. It's by suspicious now. that you would send me that message immediately after we had a like parrying conflict. You know, yeah. it, it's funny is that like I always feel awkward because like I've been watching a lot of videos about playing Pathfinder 2E, and I'm like, would it be? rude it, like if i'm playing a game if i'm running a game i will a lot of times like post a video it's like hey guys here's some like good stuff for like if you need help learning how to play the system but with someone else gming i'm like ooh, i don't want to post this unless like people are really asking about specific things because i feel I, I worry that that would feel like i'm overstepping even if it's a resource that i think would be really useful you know i mean so i might show jay because i live with him but 
I I'm not, like, gonna post it in our chat. So, here's the thing. I, from my own perspective, as a person who is talked over less than just about anyone in our in our group, because I'm a cis white man, um, I would appreciate that, truthfully. I mean, it, that's part of why we have the resources channel in all of our gaming chats, because those things are interesting and they help and they can help you to understand certain rules so long as it's framed as like a teaching tool for everyone rather than like like you said we just had a big argument in in the group about you know how to parry things and zoe made a rules call and and then you post a video about parry rules in pathfinder 2 like yeah maybe the give maybe give that one a minute maybe give that one a minute and that one, you could still do. It's just communication again. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe let that one sit a day or two and be like, hey guys, I found this video. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll help us with parry rules. Like, I honestly, like, as long as someone was chill about it, if I made a roll call and uh, someone, like, found, like, the actual answer that was different than what I rolled it as, uh, again, if they're chill about it, I wouldn't feel the least bit upset. It's like, oh, thanks. God, sorry, I didn't know it. I'd probably feel bad at my own... <laughs> I'd probably feel more guilty I didn't know it than upset that someone had to post a video about it. Which is also not a cool thing to make your GM feel. Oh, but... I feel that anyways, all the time, constantly. Yeah. Um. It's true. <laughs> um. Guilt and anxiety. Oh. Two great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> You know what? I miss the 90s. My guilt from the 90s were things like, I got that book that my friend wanted to get, and they couldn't get it because there was only one copy of it at the book fair. Um, nowadays, guilt is a lot. Speaking of book fair. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, I, I could keep talking about this if you want, but also I feel like uh, we're reaching a natural end point. I'm sure you have a, like at least one or two more things you wanted to cap off with, but... Yeah, yeah, Jay, do you, do you have anything else? I mean, my thing is just, like, be mindful that there is a power dynamic to a certain degree. Like, there is a there is a power imbalance in a D&D &D group. But, you know, if you're gonna step down from GMing or step away from GMing, that's... I need to, I need to reframe how I refer to that. If you're gonna step away from GMing and into, and into playing... You need to be sure that you are okay with that change, with shifting yourself and over to being part of the more powerful section, but the less powerful individual. And actually, um, specifically, if it is a continuity of a plotline, you may, when you step away from jamming, you may think like, yeah, I'm okay with this. But as it goes on, you're going to be like, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to go. God damn it. And that's when you should talk to the current GM to be like, look, I don't want to get in your way on what you want to do, but I'm feeling that like this storyline was kind of my baby and I kind of want it to go like this. And then you can negotiate and hash it out with the with the other GM. I agree with you, but also that sounds like the first lessons a GM needs to learn in general, which is that it isn't your story. Your players are going to destroy it anyways. So you might as well just let another GM. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's it's every that yeah that's the thing it is everybody's story again no matter how much you try to keep control of your store honestly it probably is a good lesson for gms to well it pro isn't probably it is a good lesson for gms to 
try playing. First of all, you might discover that you like playing more, or you might like it less. Uh, like, I, I do agree. It's like, you might, regardless of whether it's because it's your own story, you might also just realize that you don't like playing as much as you like running. Um, and, you know, that same thing might happen with your players to GMing. You know, they are the same game, but they do have drastically different feelings. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this most recent episode of the Shooting the Sheep podcast, where we talk about Dungeons & Dragons and stuff, all kinds of things. Once again, uh, thank you to the Guys Were Screwed guys for shouting us out. And uh, go support them on Patreon, and us, maybe, sooner or later, when we have a funding uh, system set up. Um, Please give us a little rating on iTunes and wherever you found this podcast. I think that's good for metrics. Uh, Let's talk about other things we're plugging. Um... All of our podcasts and projects can be found on mimicsmarket.com. That's M-I-M-I-C-S-M-A-R-K-E-T dot com. Mimics Market, where you can find this podcast, a uh, podcast Miles and I do with our friend Dan, where we talk about uh, youth literature in uh, the podcast On Air Book Fair, if you remember the Scholastic Book Fair from your childhoods. Um, what else? Our podcast art is who? Uh, so our podcast art is done by a a listener friend of the podcast, uh, Zyken Elster, on Twitter and Instagram. They did fantastic work on this, and we're going to continue to shout them out. Yeah, it is lovely. I'm so sorry that I can only remember you as B, which is not really helpful for anyone finding your artwork. But thankfully, Miles is a much better person than Jay and I. Um, but thanks everyone for listening we really appreciate it and you know this is actually the second podcast we've done since we were back from our little hiatus and it feels really good to be back and i i like this energy that we have after we had to take that kind of forced break for a while it does yeah. getting back in the groove we're doing research like to prepare for the podcast again yeah it's it's really nice but that was then and now it's time for us to end the podcast Love everyone. Good night. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm staring right at it. No. Jay's got this. Jay's got this butt that is shaped in a certain way that like always has her pants falling down. Yep. I fully understand that struggle. <laughs>